Welcome to episode 1006 of The Sleeper in the Bus. I'm Justin Mason, joined, as always, on Sundays by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing, my friend? Uh, trying to stay warm. I know a lot of us are cold this week. Uh, it was it was 20 when I woke up this morning. Uh, thankfully, I don't live in the Northeast where there's two feet of snow. So, you know, uh, I'm blessed with that. And uh, you know, spent some time this morning working through some things. Had Rotolab installed. It got released this week. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, if you've never heard of Rotolab, fix that problem. Uh, it is such an awesome piece of software. Uh, and I have used it. I cannot tell you the last year I didn't use it. Uh, it's I'm so addicted to it that I have this old PC uh, laptop sitting over here, uh, and the only thing I run on it is that because it only I only have a, it doesn't work on a Chromebook, uh, and the Mac I have is for work, and I don't have admin rights. So I have this old eight year old laptop that I use, and the only thing that runs on it uh, is Rotolab. Uh, and so I need to either like, keep it running. I literally spent time yesterday removing every extra piece of software from it so it could just do what I needed to do. And it doesn't start you know, over overheating with other crap. So I was uninstalling and tweaking it because it's great. Merv does such a great job with this product. And uh, you know, then you can, you, you can edit the projections. You can use the HQ projections if you want. But the functionality to me is just so good. Uh, as somebody who works with user experience stuff with online software uh, by day. I, I'm just so impressed with the, with this product that it's such a comfort zone for me. I just honestly cannot do uh, an auction without it because I'm just so, it's part of my routine. I actually have the exact same setup at home where I have a probably 14 year old laptop that the only thing I use it for is draft software. <laughs> uh, it's like the only, the only thing it's, it's I mean other than that my kid pretends to play on it my three year old pretends to play on it like during the rest of the year because they're they're pretending they're working but other than that it, it's just for draft software it's the only reason I've got it uh, joining us today is a special guest it is twice nominated FSWA award uh, nominee Carlos Marcano from Pitcher List Carlos welcome to the show Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, I mean, I'm so, so happy to be here with you guys because, one, this is one of the, I think, the best podcasts in, 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 in around and, and everyone loves it. And two, you're like the two persons that, that are always helping, promoting and, and lending your hand for everyone in, on, on the industry. And, and that's something that, that everyone has to acknowledge. And so I'm, I'm very thankful and, and happy to be with you guys here. Well, it's an absolute pleasure uh, to have you on the show. It was one of the people I had kind of penciled in. I'm like, I'm going to get Carlos on this here. And then the news dropped that you were nominated for not just one, but two Fantasy Sports Writers Association Awards. And I was like, oh, no, I got to do it fast because everyone is going to want Carlos on. Considering he's now <laughs> so uh, so well regarded. I already knew how great you were having you ha having, having had you on Potapalooza. Yeah. Um, and following you on Twitter, you can follow Twitter on, or you can follow him on Twitter at ca marcano, uh, and you can catch all of his written stuff over on Pitcherlist, and I think Six Man Rotation too, right? Yeah, yeah. So definitely, Perfect. definitely do that. Yeah, it's worked out well for me, only because you know Justin Re Carlos Justin reaches out like a month ago. He's like, all right, hey, 
give me a list of people you want on there and it's like so far we're two for two this is great yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah and we we've got some other amazing guests coming on uh, i've got i think every show every sunday show booked through the end of february but this hour is about carlos and today we're going to talk about some kind of outfielder would you rather's we did some pitcher would you rather's last week i want to focus on some outfielder ones because outfielder it's a it's a big position but it drops off pretty quickly, and so you're going to have to make some real tough decisions. Before we do that, I want to kind of talk about a few rumors that have popped up in baseball over the last few days. Uh, and one is Kevin Kiermeyer. Reportedly, there are multiple teams that contacted the Rays before the shutdown on Kevin Kiermeyer. Jason, I'll let you start on this one because he's your boy. That's your team. Is this the time they finally get rid of Kevin Kiermaier's contract and have the ability to play maybe like a Vidal Bruhan or Josh Lowe close to full-time. All right, so for context, he's my boy. Like, Mike Zunino is my boy. Like, I, I really want him off the team. Uh, <laughs> and, and really what it, what it comes down to is it's not to say I don't value his defense. Love the defense. It's absolutely uh, a value add. But it's to me, it, it's been the frustration of watching the lack of improvement in his offensive abilities and that's where it hurts in fantasy. Like, the, you know, every now and then he will go up and tomahawk a high fastball, hit a home run, and then he'll never lay off it, and he can't do anything with those pitches. Uh, I would like <clears throat> would like to see him do, uh, you know, spray the ball around, slap it, and stop trying to pull everything. <clears throat> Pardon me. So that's where I'd like to see him go. So uh, the reason why we're seeing a lot of these rumors is because the, the free agent market for center field was extremely top-heavy, and then there was a big drop-off. Uh, and if so, if you were looking to plug a gap, like if you're Philadelphia, because uh, that's one of the teams rumored, you know, their outfield defense has been atrocious. Uh, and putting Kiermeyer in there fixes a, a big part of that problem. Uh, and so you try to, there are teams, there are other te situations like that where he could be a fit. The problem is the contract, he's making a lot of money to play really good defense uh, for that perspective. So it really just see how teams want to allocate their finances for that. But if, if the Rays do end up trading him here once the lockout ends, the, the immediate beneficiary should be uh, Manuel Margot. Uh, but I don't know how long that lasts. I mean, Margot defensively, there's not much of a drop-off. They can platoon. They could put Brett Phillips out there, say, you know, defensively very strong as well. Uh, both of them obviously have their issues. Brett Phillips really struggles uh, to make contact. Uh, the athleticism is great, but he's a very, you know, if, for a, if a pitcher pitches low in the zone that's and he's a righty, that's Brett Phillips' sweet spot. Uh, if he can elevate stuff, forget it. Uh, and then Manuel Margot has had issues with overexposure against righties, but it's not terrible. Uh, so the immediate things there. So I, I, I see some talk about if they trade Kiermaier, it's going to be for Bruhan. It's going to be for uh, Josh Lowe. I think both those guys, uh, you know, sorry, I believe both of those guys need more time, uh, particularly Bruhan. If you watched him play last year, he looked really overmatched at the plate uh, because he was too anxious to make things happen. He was swinging at every single pitch. He wasn't out. He did, it didn't look like he had any plan of attack up there. Uh, for that. And so I would like to see him get some more time in AAA. Uh, you, know, you look at the numbers in AAA, you're like, why? Because uh, he was hitting so well down there. But go back and watch his major league at bats. They they were rough. Uh, and so would like to see some more time there. So if something happens, I think Margot, at least for the first few months, is the, is the early beneficiary. 
to, uh, unless they make some other types of moves. But they've got a pretty crowded 40-man roster, and they got to work some stuff out. Uh, and it could be maybe it's Kiermaier and Margot get traded. Maybe it's Kiermaier and Yandy Diaz, which would hurt because I like Yandy Diaz this year. If you look at the, what he did in the second half and finally started getting some launch to the ball that we've been waiting for. So uh, remains to be seen. I, I, I said it yesterday on PitchCon. This could be like NBA free agency once the lockout ends. It could be like signing, signing, trade, signing, signing, trade, and everybody's trying to get something done uh, while they're heading to Arizona or, or, or Florida uh, for spring training. Yeah, so I'm, I just put this lockout in so we can start answering some of these questions. Yeah. And it feels like it may end sooner rather than later. They're starting to make progress. They had a big meeting last week. Carlos, what are your thoughts on Kiermaier potentially leaving Tampa Bay? Uh, who do you like to kind of step up and, and add some of those plate appearances? I mean, uh, I'm, I completely agree. Uh, Kiermaier is totally overrated just because of the defense. And uh, you, 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 are not going to pay nine million, almost nine million a year, just to have the guy. Okay, he's a great defender, but that's that's it. And and you, and he's when you look at his war, it's mostly defense. It's it's only defense, and and he's he's not providing any extra thing. Uh, I, I like Margot, but but maybe if he's out, Jason mentions that he might be out too. But I, I like Margot because he can he can add a little bit more. He has speed. He, he he's a guy that can fill in the blanks there. But um, I think the important part is getting rid of Kiermaier, to be honest. It, it, you, you can figure out who can fill that, that place later on in terms of, okay, yes, you need a, a good defender, but you need someone that can add to that offense, that, and you know you're going to need a good offense this, this year. So it, I, I will summarize it on, yes, get, get him out first, and then you can figure out how to, how to fill in the blanks. I agree with you guys. So we're just going to move on to the next topic. Talking about like uh, what's going to be a fast offseason once things open back up, I expect one of the first things that's going to happen is Seiya Suzuki is going to announce the team he's going to be uh, on. Uh, there's been a ton of speculation. There was a report last week at some point that he was going to Boston. Like the Boston was the front runner. And then all of a sudden another report comes out where there's four other teams that are techni- or, or are the front runners in the Giants, the Padres, the Cubs, the Mariners, you know, I don't necessarily want to get into like a, a speculation of where we think he'd go. Cause what do we know? Right. But we do know that once he signs, his ADP is going to kind of skyrocket. So right now he's the 61st outfielder off the board. He's currently going around pick 227 in NFBC draft champion so far this year. So Carlos, are you maybe wanting to get into to an early draft to try to see if you can get him before that price jumps up towards 150? Or are you kind of waiting and seeing where he lands? What are your thoughts on Seiya Suzuki this year? I think he's a great speculative ad at this point. Uh, you're not going to get him cheaper, as you said, any anytime. Uh, in fact, it's going to be even even uh, uh, you know steeper prices. Come on, it, this is a guy that f- for the past three years, he's a 180 w- WRC plus in, in Japan. Okay, let's translate that. Even with a big hit in, in terms of that production, you're, you can get a 150 WRC plus guy, and, and that's valuable. And, and for that price, I, I think you are not going to, you could not get a better return of investment. He's a, a 
1,030 OPS from 2018 to 2021. Uh, he, he belted a, more than 100 homer. There's a lot of potential. Of course, we've seen Japanese players having trouble adjusting to the league. But what if, you know, and, and, and he's, he's at the point right now that he's in a good what if situation. And, 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 and for that price, you said six, the 61 outfielder. I mean, you could do a lot worse <laughs> than, than, than try to gamble a, a little bit on, on, on this guy. So I, I, I'm in. I'm in. Jason, are you in on Suzuki? So I was looking at I was looking at where his ADP has been in the fifty in the uh, DC fifties right now in the twelve team DC fifty, and he's the fifty sixth outfielder off the board. Uh, ADP of two twenty. He went two twenty three in my DC fifty. Uh, so that was the middle of the 19th round, smack dab in the middle uh, of that. I personally have a very poor track record in first year with the with the Far East imports. I, I don't know what it's, it's this never worked well for me personally. Uh, uh, and so that's why I'm always like a little hesitant. When I look about when I look at who's going where he's going right now, like the first the the first three names before him. Andrew Benintendi, Marcelo Zuna, and Ramon Lariano. The three names after him, AJ Pollock, Kike Hernandez, and Andrew Vaughn. Uh, you know, with that of that grouping of that seven, you know, give me Ozuna, give me Benintendi, and that's I'd like I'll, I'd put Suzuki in the top three of that seven based on, on that because the other question marks, you know, Pollock coming off the big uh, rebound year, Loriano gonna coming off the suspension. He's, you know, he's gonna miss what 17, 19 games right out of the gate. You gotta factor in another injury for him uh to that. because uh, Kiki Hernandez is gonna have an everyday job in that Boston lineup. If Suzuki ends up there, is it at his expense? Uh so we'll have to see uh, where all this goes. But I would not there are a few names there, obviously, that I would take before him, uh, but I'm not going to be like I'm completely out just based on my previous track record. I just have to look at the expectations because, you know, there were a lot of expectations about uh, Tsutsugo, and it took him until, you know, the final two months of last year to finally start hitting. I mean, velocity, that's always the biggest adjustment, and that's really where I want to see, see what Suzuki's doing because it's been the velocity that the, that the uh, Far East players coming over have struggled to adjust to. Uh, when they first come over, uh, and it just takes a little bit of time. Uh, and I think even even we saw it even a little bit with Otani as well. Spring training doesn't always paint the best picture, uh, but let's see how guys are doing when the when the league because as soon as the league sees that you're struggling with velocity, that's all you're going to get. Yeah, I, I'm I'm willing to take the gamble right now. My my fear is like I said, once he signs, that he's going to jump up into the top 150 overall, you know, top 40 in terms of outfielders. And he starts going around guys like Austin Meadows and Lourdes Gurley Jr. I, I don't know that I want to pay that price. Um, you know, there I, I've been a little trepidatious in my early drafts so far in terms of taking him just because I got burned by Sugano a little bit last year before the posting. And um, it feels pretty solid that he's going to, end up signing so i'm not super worried about that uh you know in terms of hey we're going to be left holding the bag uh so i i, I want to try to get a share before he signs because 
I, I just don't think I'm going to be able to afford it once he comes over. I think he should be really good. From everybody I've talked to that have seen this guy play, he's about as polished as he could be, and he he is about as MLB ready as he could be. So, um, and I, I trust guys like Tim McLeod, uh, you know, and the other people who I've I've talked to or that I follow. Uh, their work uh, on the Japanese league. So yeah, I would like to see. I would like to see uh, something sooner rather than later. We're five weeks from AL labor, and in labor, you can't nominate a guy that's not on. <laughs> or you oh. do. Let's say you. No, I take that back. You buy it. Yeah, you, you, you make the purchase, and then he ends up going to the NL. You're out. Yeah, yeah, you're you're. Yeah, you're just kind of screwed. So it would be that, you know that, it would be that's nice. Gonna now. <laughs> it's gonna happen. It happened There's... last year uh, with Puig. I think I ended up buying Puig in that one and never got anything out of it. Uh, yeah. But it happens every year because that, that's the risk you take. Whereas in Tout, uh, I think a tout, no, a Tout's the yep. same way. If, if, if preseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or well, other leagues, you can't even nominate him. Then he becomes the top, then it becomes the top free agent target. Yeah. I, I know in Tout, uh, you know, you, I, cause I got, uh, I got lucky. I think it was on uh, Craig Kimbrell here. He, he signed. Yeah. Um, that uh, that I got it an eight dollar closer later on in the season. So maybe it's way. Maybe in labor you came in. No, I think it's labor you came in nominate him. Mm-hmm. I know it's one of the leagues. I know I've got labor the beginning of March and two weeks later it's talent. But one of you can't even nominate him. So I want to say it's it's labor because in uh, I had I think I got Puig and talent when the outfield pool just yeah. ran out and I was like I guess here's two bucks I'll throw it to Puig. And that's a complicated situation because the ADP is right now. But then, uh, when you can nominate him, it's gonna skyrocket mm-hmm. crazy. So it might not be that interesting by that time. Yeah, he's gonna become a much bigger risk, at least with guys like Susugo and uh, Haseon Kim, who came over last year from Korea. Like it wasn't a huge price when they exactly. first came over. Like you weren't paying a top hundred fifty price right. for those guys in drafts. When Suzuki signs, I would be very surprised if his ADP is not in the top 150. I think people are going to get really, really excited for good reason. I think he's going to be a good player. But that puts him in the top 40 at outfield right now. Yeah, it puts him right next to like Austin Meadows and Akil Badu and, mm-hmm. you know, some guys who, you know, have warts, but, you know, have been very productive players or great players uh, at times in uh, in fantasy baseball. And I just that that's going to be too much for me. Um, I'll have to wait and see because uh, there's, you know, as much as I think he's going to hit the ground running pretty well, um, you know, if there's still a lot of question marks, we, you know, he's never, like you said, Jason, he's never seen major league pitching. So it's going to be uh, a new, uh, new day for him. It's the velocity. Honestly, it's the velocity. I, I it's, it's no um, disrespect to the quality of pitching that he's faced, but you know, everybody's throwing 95 plus. Yeah. Everybody. Uh, it's, it's, and that's really what I want to see uh, the adjustment to. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's jump into some would you rather's in the outfield uh, position. Uh, it, mo- almost all of these are one guy versus another. But for the first round, I had to put three guys because there's three guys kind of near the middle back uh, of the first round, beginning of the second round, depending on what draft you're in, uh, that kind of go in different orders. Um, and they're all amazing superstars. I don't usually like to put first rounders in these because, you know, you're still ending up with a good player. Uh, all three of these guys have some question marks too, right? Though, because they've they've in the past been close to the beginning of the first round. Uh, and I'm talking about Ronald Acuna, who's coming off of a uh, you know a, a massive injury. We've been seeing some videos recently that are getting people pretty excited. 
uh, Mookie Betts, who, you know, struggled with an injury last year, and Mike Trout, who really struggled with an injury last year. These guys are all former, you know, number one overall picks or number two overall picks in fantasy. So, Carlos, if you're drafting kind of in that back end of the first round, early second round, and you've got an option between these guys, who are you taking? So here's the thing. Uh, last season, I got really burned by by that Trout uh, uh, injury, and, and usually I paired him with Byron Buxton, who uh, I mean, you 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 gotta imagine how that went for me last year. So uh, there is, I have that <laughs> bad thing coming for me from last season. But okay, let, let's look at it this way. Betts has the the lower ceiling to put it on some wave between Trout and Acuna. Acuna is the flashy guy with the um, massive stolen base potential too. But this injury, we have to see how is it going to be on the bases now because we don't know if it's going to take so that many risks with that injury running the bases. Still, most projections have been around 20, 25 stolen bases for for this issue which is a massive premium and 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 we know how hard it is to look for stolen bases later 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 on right so i i would say i would go with acuna to be honest and i, I think he's the one guy that would not like the season to start uh early because the, the later that it starts it's going to be better for him and he will have more time to recover and get onto full potential uh for, for the season, but um, thinking about that stolen bases potential, I would go Acuna, probably Trout second, and, and Betts third. That would be like my ranking for that. Jason, who are you taking out of this trio? Yeah, you know when I did my when I did my KDS for my first draft, I stayed out. I want I was front loading it because I didn't want to make this decision. I honestly, this was it's really tough because your gut. Yeah, the Acuna is the one I like the least, but that's just because I'm so risk adverse about assuming these guys are going to pick up where they left off. Uh, and it, it's a leg injury. And I know, yeah, the video was cool just to see him hitting, but that's only one part of the job. Uh, and even even with uh, the universal DH coming, come on, Justin. That's Marcelo Zuna's job. So yep. Acuna is going to have to play in the field, and that's where I want. I want to see how he's going to run. I want to see how he holds up in the field before I get super. And if I miss out, I miss out. But it, like in my DC fifty, Acuna was the first of these three off the board. He went eighth, uh, and then Trout went tenth, and Betts went fifteenth uh, in this. But to, to me, I want. I also I like Trout uh, the best here because of how he's insulated in that lineup with Otani likely hitting in front of him, Walsh likely hitting behind him, uh, of crossing your fingers, resurgent Anthony Rendon backing that trio up. Uh, when you look at, when you look at bets, cause he struggled through injuries last year and our, our buddy Jason Hansman had some tweets go back. Uh, I think it was December 3rd. And he looked at some of the, the, the graphs that he puts together between uh, the actual weighted on base average and the expected you're, and you're seeing a downward rolling trend in his, in his graph uh, and it looks like he uh, mentioned he probably had a cortisone shot there towards the end. You see a spike a little bit, but the, the, the trend's going down. Uh, and that's that that's concerning because, it yeah, he struggled through injuries last year, but it, it was still trending in a direction where I don't know. And obviously in my in my league, he you know, bets went 15th 
Whereas last year, you know, he went fourth. He went first in some drafts last year. Uh, and now we're talking about him maybe being a first rounder. Um, you have to factor in these types of uh, types of things with him. So I want I want Trout, uh, and then the other two. It's honestly a toss up for me. Oh wow! So we're we're going to be very different. So in my most recent draft, which is a fifteen teamer, uh, uh, Acuna went ninth, Betts went twenty third, and Mike Trout went twenty fourth. Wow! Um, that's a, Trout twenty fourth. That, that that's a gift. Yeah, it's so, an absolute gift. It's an, yeah, it, I mean, I think both the bets and the trout one are absolute gift. My answer really depends on what size league you're playing in, right? The deeper the league, the most injury uh, averse I want to be, right? Because there's just less on the waiver wire or less in your roster to replace. And so as much as I love Acuna, and in a 10-team league and probably some 12-team leagues, he'd be at the top of my list just for the on pure upside alone. We don't know when he's going to be ready. I know we're seeing him hit off a tee, uh, and I think we've even seen him hit, uh, in one video hits a little bit of live pitching. Um, but like Jason mentioned, like he's going to be playing in the National League where they've already got Ozuna who's probably going to be the DH. Um, and while I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little worried about him playing the outfield, I'm really worried about him you know, cutting on the base pass. What happens when he has to, you know, leg out a double? Like, is he going to be able to cut? Because that's what those injuries really, really, you know, uh, can, where it can really, really hurt. Um, and I don't know if he's going to be ready for the first month of the season. So if you're if you're drafting right now for a draft and hold, I'm probably staying away from him unless he falls, like, deep into the second round. For me, it's Betts, then Trout, then Acuna, uh, I know Betts uh, dealt with injury last year, but all the reports are really good right now on him feeling good. He doesn't need surgery. It doesn't mean, it means he's not going to miss time. And as much as I love Trout, and I think if we could take away injuries, I might even put Trout first in spite of the lack of stolen bases just because he's such an amazing hitter. Um, he's just been hurt too much over the last few years for me to put him above the other two. So, now, I would say this. I was stunned when he went eighth overall in mine. I, yeah, I he went eighth. Uh, this well, Cunha went eighth overall. Oh, I, was eighth. Just, oh, I was rather yeah. stunned. Well, you said he I went. You know, I, think, I was. I'm honestly surprised that he is just in a first rounder in a 12 team. And you know, again, maybe <laughs> I would love to be wrong. Uh, please, donors, I don't. I don't have anything against these folks personally. No. <laughs> but, I you know, it's just like I would love to be wrong. I want. I want the healthy. I would love to be able to turn the injury setting off for every player in yeah. baseball, so we can have our best players on the field all the time. Uh, but reality if it was is up that's, to uh, me, that's not there. If it, if it was up to me, I'd want Mookie Betts to be the worst as a Giants fan. Um, but I'm, <laughs> and I'm and I'm thinking he's and I'm he's the one I'm going to be taking most often out of this trio. So, uh, but uh, yeah, you're going to have a, a Cy Young candidate with Alex Wood this year. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm all over Alex Wood this year. I love that. Uh, that's an awesome call, right? With the high school about five miles down the road from me. <laughs> Uh, you know, I do want to say, though, if I'm in the back end of that first round, especially in a 15-teamer, I may avoid all three of these guys. And that's a time where I'd really think about, like, pocket aces or just a different player altogether, maybe addressing a different position uh, that's, uh, you know, maybe like third base or something. I, I, I'm probably going to avoid these guys at, at most costs unless one of them falls me. Like, had I been in the middle of that 15-teamer in the second round, I would have snagged either – trout or bets up when they fell but i think more often than not i think the place you're gonna have to pull the trigger on is around 12 it's, 11 13 
it's a really tough decision. We we picked a different one, each of us. So yeah, you, you can start <laughs> yeah. looking at that. It's it's really tough. Hey, unrelated, I don't know if you guys saw uh, Greg Ambrosius tweeted out this morning that uh, in the latest online championship, Jose Ramirez went one one. I'm not surprised by that. Um, I I have him as my my second guy off the board this year, and with some reports that. Cleveland could trade Jose Ramirez once things open back up. If he were to end up on a team, you know, like Toronto, who could use a third baseman, that would be insanity. You know, a team with a better lineup context around him. I think there's art and with the depth at third base, we keep hearing it, right? It's, it's one of the most oversaid things this offseason is that third base is a position that really drops off. I have no problem with people taking Jose Ramirez first overall. I, I think that there's a lot of – I'm still taking Trey Turner, especially because you get the second and shortstop eligibility. He's on the Dodgers, all that, you know, stolen bases. But I, I think there's a lot of reasons to take Jose Ramirez first overall if you want. I took him three. And the, the one I'm in, I'm picking third, and I started with him. Somebody asked, like, why didn't you take Soto? I'm like, uh, I – Wanted, I wanted, I wanted to see what I could do uh, out of this spot with taking him out of the gate because one of my other buddies was yeah, he got into his first draft. He's like, "Oh my god, the third base position just died in a hurry." <laughs> yeah, I still haven't taken a second one, so I got to find a backup. <laughs> yeah, uh, third base does fall off a cliff. I mean, I don't think it's as bad as maybe some people are saying it is. I think there are some really intriguing kind of later options at the same time. Uh, it, it does get kind of ugly in a hurry. Uh, let's move on. him at 470 for you, baby. I actually took him in my, in my <laughs> of course position. you did. <laughs> so, I just need someone who's gonna play. Um, all right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, we're talking about George Springer and Byron Buxton. Uh, Buxton's going about pick 56 over the last two weeks. Uh, thank you to Jason who put this all in a little chart for us. Uh, George Springer going about pick 72. Carlos, who you got between these guys? So as I mentioned, I got burned badly by Buxton last year. That I, I mean, it was like uh, Icarus, is that the pronunciation? He went so high and then he got burned by the sun so quickly because he was having Icarus. a season. Yeah, Icarus, Icarus, I'm sorry. Yes. My English. Uh, but uh, I mean, he, he was like having the greatest season ever by anyone and well, Danger has got, got him as, as always. But in this case, I'm still taking Buxton ahead of, of Springer. And, uh, I mean, they both are injury-prone, guys. So um, Springer has not played more than 140 games since 2016 either. So in this scenario, I'll still try to go with the higher ceiling guy as, can we get a hundred games out of Buxton? I think he could over. Uh, he would surpass surpass the uh, one thirty games production from from uh, Springer. So uh, that's the way I'm looking at, at it. Uh, I mean, Buxton can do it all. It all. Uh, he can run. He has tremendous power that we he got caught us a little bit by surprise. Not as much, but but uh, he's power was higher than most people thought he could he he just blasted homers um, left and right whenever he was on the field he he can um, get on base um, a lot of course he's playing uh, in, in uh let's say i don't want to say it too harshly but 
not ideal lineup over there. So this that could hurt a little bit his probabilities of getting runs and things like and RBIs. But he's still, I think he's the better player. And I'm not saying Springer is bad at all, for sure. He's a great, amazing athlete and player. But I would shoot for the for the higher ceiling guy. Uh, uh, per per game, his his production cannot be compared. I think so. All right, Jason, who you got on this uh, this duo? Uh, I want Buxton uh, pretty much every time. Uh, you know, he's five years younger. As Carlos said, higher ceiling. He's got he has the possibility uh, of contributing in all five categories. You know, the the downside to having Springer. 32 uh they're asking him to play center field uh on turf uh, so that's 81 games a year uh if he plays every day at home uh, on turf plus the 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 games on the road in tropicana there's some more turf he's got the potential to play on the fake stuff at least 90 games bare minimum uh for that and so that's where uh not even factoring in any of the other but so that's part of the issue uh, that i'm concerned about and unless they try to do a rotational thing where they give teoscar hernandez Outfield time, you don't do that. He's, he's a great hitter. Let's leave it at that. Uh, so that's where I get concerned. As Carlos said, we're talking about, yeah, two guys that have not been able to put up a full season, uh, you know, Springer for the last three, Buxton for even longer than that. But Buxton is, is still young. Uh, and if I'm going to get burned by a guy, let me get burned by the guy with the higher ceiling. Uh, I'm willing to give him another chance. Uh, on this, but I've never had Byron Buxton on any my, one of my rosters because somebody has always been more aggressive in, in AL Talbot. That's typically Chris Liss. Uh, and in labor, it's been somebody else, but Buxton's never been somebody that I've had out there because every year there's somebody that's more forgiving uh, and, and is paying full freight, even though nothing. And then you look at last year's ADP, and this is the thing you know, last year Springer was 51. This year, over the last two weeks, he's 72. So there's been a bit of a, a baked in discount. Whereas Byron Buxton was going 116 last year and he's 56 right now. And that speaks to what he was doing and that before he got hurt, he was having an MVP caliber type season and then done. Uh, and that's where it really hurt. Yeah, I kind of go back and forth on these guys in my ranks. I currently have Buxton at 20 and Springer at 21 in my outfield ranks which is considerably kind of lower than I think what the market is, especially on Buxton. I think it ends up, I'm, I'm probably not going to take either of these guys in a draft unless one of them falls. And I've had that happen with Springer. I have not seen that with Buxton. Buxton is still putting up close to a top 50 price in spite of the fact that's almost how many games he played last season. And, <laughs> and, 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 and what we've seen over the course of his career is the dude just cannot stay on the field. Um, and as much as I love the talent, if this was a guy, if we're playing MLB the show and we could turn off injuries, I mean, I think you'd be putting him as a first round or second round pick, but I'd say in my DC, in my DC 50, I'm looking, uh, Springer went, uh, first pick of the sixth round and Buxton went three picks later. Yeah. In this DC that I'm in right now, I got him with the first pick. I got Springer with the first pick of the seventh round um and let's see buxton went in about middle of the sixth round or sorry middle of the fourth round so there's a you know almost three round difference in terms of where these guys i seen these guys go in drafts so i'm probably gonna have springer on my team more often than buxton this year but neither of them are in my plan so they're they're just it's it's you know hey these guys just fell to a spot where 
and it works out with my team that I can, you know, take the injury risk. But I, I don't know how you can pencil in more than 90 to 100 games for the, for these guys. And for that reason, I'm avoiding them both. Yeah, that's fair, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, moving right along, we've got uh, Brian Reynolds going to pick 92 over the last two weeks. And J.D. Martinez going to pick 100 over the last two weeks. Uh, you know, kind of different guys, right? You know, Brian Reynolds is the younger guy who's, you know, not much power, but a lot of batting average, kind of does a little bit of everything. J.D. Martinez, old guy, but still can hit the ball. So, Jason, who you got between these two guys? You know, by the time these guys are going, uh, for me, it, it gets to how your roster's uh, coming together. And I'll use myself as an example of this because I have I have Brian Reynolds uh, in, the, in the aforementioned DC 50. The one I So I started off with Ramirez, went Brandon Woodruff, uh, Jordan Alvarez, Francisco Lindor, and then went Classe and Cease and Jazz Chisholm uh, as my first seven picks. So I'm looking at that. I was like, okay, I want somebody – that gives me a little bit of everything across the board. I want somebody who runs. I want somebody who hits for, especially for average uh, at that point. And Brian Reynolds was the ideal target for me uh, there. I believe that uh, Martinez had gone slightly, uh, forgot exactly where he went, but, but for Reynolds, for me, it's the ideal target. The lineup's bad. I mean, I, I get that. Uh, so Martinez and ended up, Martinez had already gone. He was off the table. He went first pick that round. So I took Reynolds later, uh, but I know the lineup's bad in Pittsburgh, and he's going to play a he's going to play every day, uh, and that's where uh, it's going to hurt RBI production. I don't know who he's going to drive in the bottom of the lineup, but he, still because he's out there and playing as much, and he has the potential for a 700 plus plate appearance season. In that regard, he's still going to have some level of RBI production, but he is going to score runs. You know, he will steal bases. He will hit for a high average. He was last this time last year. He was 291 because he was coming off that abysmal 2020 after that great after the great fr uh, freshman year had the sophomore slump and everybody's like forget it. Uh, I love targeting him in a bunch of places last year, but there clearly is no discount this year. Uh, but on, on a team where it's a, it's a lot of question marks like who's going to do what, he's a set it and forget it guy. And if I can get that type of volume uh, here at the round out the top 100, you know, it's he was for me the the perfect candidate. Like I passed on. Giancarlo Stanton, who went three picks later. Uh, Bobby Witt went five picks later uh, in that regard. So that was some of the talent going around. And Jonathan India went just before, like three picks before I took Reynolds uh, there. So that's really where, you know, you look at some of the question marks around Stanton and his playing time, what Witt can do as a rookie, uh, you know, what India can do as a follow-up to what he did last year. Reynolds is has some some security to offer there. Carlos, where are you at on Reynolds versus J.D. Martinez? Yeah, I agree. I, I would go with Reynolds, too. Um, I was wrong with uh, Martinez last year. I, I thought he was going to have a worse year than he had. His max, max exit velocity was trending down since a couple of years ago. It, he just proved me wrong, and he did pretty well last year, and he regained some of this max exit velocity. By the way... Um, we have to be very careful with that because we know that the, these velocities are, are uh, you know, boosted with because of the ball and uh, around a couple of miles per hour. So we have to be careful with, with looking into that. Uh, but I, I mean, 
is he another Nelson Cruz that keeps getting younger every <laughs> every year? <laughs> I, 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 I could be, but I don't think there are too many examples of that, and, and it's always the opposite, right? So um, I think we're going to start looking um, and watching that he will finally um, do a little bit worse than we thought he would. So I'm taking Reynolds in because also I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. I mean, the Pirates should be better than, than, than they were. So we, we could see a, a better contribution in terms of, of the rest of the guys there. So uh, there are a lot of things that make Reynolds more palatable than, than than Martinez at this moment, especially if we do, unless we, we know exactly how Boston is going to have his roster constructed by finally, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm going with Reynolds in that regard. Well, I guess I'm going to disagree with you guys a little bit. I'm, I'm going J.D. Martinez here. I mean, like you said, he is the next version of Nelson Cruz, where I think people are going to start picking him. Like, this is the year he falls off, and he just, like a fine wine, just gets better and better with age. Um, you know, you know I, I don't know how much they're going to play him in the outfield. I know they played him in the outfield quite a bit last year, which was nice to give him that outfield eligibility, but hopefully they can protect him on his health a little bit uh, more at the D-age. Um, he's like yeah i think he's uh had like a 230 iso in pretty much every season except for 2020 since he came to detroit and he was uh, hurt yeah exactly i mean he was he's just been an amazing player i don't see any reason for that to fall off at this point that boston lineup isn't as good as it used to be but it's not as bad as pittsburgh so i think pittsburgh's lineup is going to get better and better too um you know i i see big things for guys like uh o'neal cruz um and I think somebody mentioned uh, there's a chance that Reynolds could get traded. Uh, you know, he's been kind of one of the guys that. Oh, that'll go over well with the fan base. What's left of it? What do they care about the fan base? They they they, they don't <laughs> care about the fan base. Clearly not much. Hey, Justin, I'll give you I'll give you something to get you to get you excited. Uh, remember the hitting coach that JD Martinez worked uh, to mm -hmm. rework his swing. You know who he's working with this winter? I don't. Paul DeYoung. Oh, I actually, I, you're right. I saw this article. Uh, oh, it was you. You shared the article. Yes, I did. <laughs> uh, in, in our little group chat. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm man. I'm ready to be hurt again. I'm absolutely ready to be hurt again <laughs> with the young. I have not. I don't know that I've drafted him anywhere. Uh, like honestly, I can't remember off the top of my head. But and for I, everybody else, that this this guy is the same guy that worked with Willie Adamas. Uh, two years ago, uh, he worked with Willie Adamas because Mookie Betts was like, hey, Willie, you should work with this guy. He helped me. Uh, so that's some of his clientele. Uh, go look up G-Swing. Uh, that's the group. But Derek Gold, uh, or Derek Gould, rather, I'm sorry, wrote a, a nice article about it in St. Louis Post-Dispatch. But, you know, anything with, with DeYoung, because the thing with him, uh, not to get off too far off topic, but last year it was non-fastballs. He was absolutely brutal against non-fastballs. Uh, and but he he held his own against fastballs, and that gets back to timing. So and part of what the hitting coach is working with him is getting his his lower half more in sync with his swing. But you know, go watch that. Uh, or once my uh, NL Central bold predictions go up at RotoWire, go read what I wrote because that's coming up this week because it's in there. All right, I'm looking forward to seeing what you have. Uh, I mean, everybody who's listening to this podcast knows how much I love Paul DeYoung. Like I'm not. Uh, I'm not ready to complete job off board and, and seeing something like that. It's awesome. Uh, back to Jay Martinez versus Brian Reynolds. This does not mean I don't like Brian Reynolds. I love Brian Reynolds. I was a big Brian Reynolds guy before he broke out in his rookie season. 
I went to the well in 2020 and got burned. Um, I wish I had gone back to the well last year. I mean, this was probably one of the easiest things to identify that he would have a fine bounce back season. And for some reason, he just wasn't on my list of a guy that I really wanted. Uh, and, uh, and I, you know, other people got that profit. I'm definitely willing to grab him. You know, I think he is going to be, uh, like I said, I think that Pittsburgh line is going to get better. I think there's a chance he gets traded. Uh, you know, like Jason mentioned when we were talking about Kevin Kiermeyer, you know, the center field market is pretty, pretty thin. So I think the team might be willing to give up quite a bit to go get a young center fielder in, in Brian Reynolds. So uh, like both guys, but I lean just a little bit towards J.D. Martinez and what we've seen uh, is possible with that bat over the course of his career. Uh, let's go the other end of the spectrum, right? We're going to talk about two guys who have not been uh, helpful to fantasy uh, players over the last few seasons. And we're talking about Christian Yelich uh, and Cody Ballinger. Uh, both going right next to each other. Uh, Yelich going uh, pick 102 over the last two weeks. Cody Ballinger going pick 103 over the last two weeks. So it's a straight-up pick'em, Carlos. Who you got? Both these guys have been, you know, early first-rounders in the past, and both of them crushed fantasy owners over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I'm willing to bet on, on Bally again. Um, and it's mostly because Yelik is back back to his ground ball and antics. You know, he, he, he has a huge ground ball situation and going against him and, and the power went down and his dynamic arc hit rating is is lower than it's been in for a while and you know that's not a great combination a lot of ground balls on um not enough power you're, you're just gonna keep uh, batting rollings uh, once and over again um i'm not saying that bellinger i'm that confident on his resurgence I was looking at his batting profile, and he he's still he still has a similar batting profile as uh, as Trevor Story. That's that's not a bad comp to 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 have, you know. I was looking his his um, tight lunch angles tightness is fine. I mean, there's still a lot of things going right for him. I, I, in the end, I, I believe it's a matter of that injury that might still be nagging him, and, and, and it's getting in the way. But um, at that ADP, I, I, I would go with Bellinger before Yelling. Jason, who you got in this one? It's it's tough because you look at the current the by ADP, we, we just talked about Martinez and, and Reynolds. They're 24th and 25th. And then it's Bellinger, then it's Yelich. And it's the, to me, about all the certainty I discussed with Brian Reynolds and the fact that you know you can count on the volume, count on the, the production, and if he gets traded, yay, even better. These two, it's like the exact opposite. We know what what they're capable of. But the as, as Carlos mentioned, the what held what what held Yelich's value down previously was his ability, the, the ground ball, and he's getting back to that perspective. But the other part of this is at least he does run when he gets on base, and he hasn't lost the ability to get on base. So, like, between these two, I like Yelich better, but this is that tier of outfield right now when you look at Bellinger, Yelich, Stanton, Varsho, Mountcastle, Winker, Hanniger, Straw, Grisham, Schwarber. Like, that's your next 10. It's like, if I want to take a dart on one of these 10, honestly, I want Kyle Schwarber, and I want to see where he signs. 
that's where I get super excited. Like if he goes to Colorado, like there was a rumor. Like, yeah, I almost like, like, like Jace. Yeah. I mentioned Jason earlier. It's like he took he took Kyle Schwarber in this thing, going, "Oh my God, please go to Colorado." But that would be amazing. But th this gets in that group. Every one of those names I mentioned has a question mark. Stanton Health, Mountcastle defenses going back three hundred feet uh, allegedly. But yeah, these different. Every one of these guys has a different question mark to it. Uh, and so if I'm looking at outfield. I've been trying to look at and getting uh, at least two guys in that top 25, if not three, before I start. I have to start rostering some of the question mark. It's just kind of crazy to me. Most years we have a lot of depth at outfield, and you know we get to number 26, and we're like, huh? Uh, and that's that's the position this year. Keep that in mind, especially in your shallow leagues. That's good. That's where it's going to get interesting. You play the AL or the NL only. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be some interesting roster construction this year. Yeah, um, man, this is this is I, I want neither of these guys on my teams this year. I, I mean, I need to start. start <laughs> so I'm gonna start with that. I, neither of these guys are gonna end up on very many of my teams unless one of them falls, you know, a ton in in a draft. And I just you know, hey, it's it's worth a gamble because they're both so far past their ADP. But it, it seems super unlikely to end up with either of these guys. If I need to pick one, give me the one who has shown better plate skills over the last you know year or two, and that's Yelich. I, I know he's been hurt. Um, the ground ball lean, like Carlos was mentioning, going kind of reverting back to who he was like in early Miami uh, days, is super concerning. Uh, but he still does get on base, like Jason mentioned. He still steals uh, steals bases. Um, at least I'm getting that. As much as I think, and I do think there's like a potential both these guys figure out what their flaws are, they fix them, they become superstars again. I mean, we're not very far removed from both these guys winning like MVP awards. Um, and so like I'm not burying them. But, uh, man, it just, I, Bellinger looked so completely lost all throughout the season. I mean, there was, to the point where they were platooning him. And I mean, if if they're gonna platoon a guy who just won the MVP award a couple seasons ago, like the team doesn't have much faith that he's gonna turn it around, and that to me is scary. Well, he also, I was getting confused. He was one of the ones that had the uh, he had the shoulder surgery before mm -hmm. the season, yes, mm -hmm. yeah, on his front shoulder, correct? Yeah, that, and that was I remember discussing uh, that I was very much uh, concerned about him because of that and that that's been my track record and i even brought this up uh on pitch con yesterday is that that front shoulder extension if you can't get all of it uh it impacts it impacts things uh and you know let's let's be real both these guys were top 20 picks last year and now they're both barely making it they're, they're on the, the fringe of the top 100 that's where the market's gone in these like absolute lock like gellish was I remember, I think, uh, I want to say in TGFBI, I was planning on building my team around Yelich, and he went the pick before me. I think I had the 11th pick, and he went 10th overall. It's like, you know, in hindsight, whoo! Uh, uh, that's where, to me, it's just, it's really insane. As we were talking about the first grouping, where these guys were 2, 4, and 7, and they're still in the top 15-ish, we're talking about two guys that were in the top 15 area that are barely in the top 100 in some areas. Now, that's the kind of wow season uh but in that context yeah, i still want yelich but i yeah, just remembered about the whole shoulder surgery thing and you have to give bellinger some kind of uh mulligan on, on that because that that first season after shoulder surgery is rough 
as somebody who's had two of them. <laughs> I think I think he's having the same situation as Eugenio Suarez. The problem with the shoulder are, are, are keeping them. Well, Suarez's shoulder is the other one, not the front one. But but they 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 cannot get back to their potential because they they still they might be still hurting. So so he's got another. Is that did he have another injury too? Because I saw somebody. I, I wish I could give credit on on Twitter who was talking about this, but they said a combination of his injuries has adjusted. It looks like. Suarez has got a different swing plane now because of compensating for the injury, and he can't do what he was doing to the baseball because his body is not allowing him to do that. He's starting to make some changes with that swing path in September, and if you see, if you look kind of his statistical uh, his record, it things changed a lot once he was able to go back to it. So I don't know if it was a matter of he was starting to get back healthy and his shoulder is starting to feel better. In September, or if it's just an aberration, I mean, we're talking about a really small sample, uh, but it, it looked like he started becoming the guy he had previously been in the last month of the season. So I don't know if that's just noise or if it's my heart hoping that Eugenio Suarez is going to be back because I drafted him both my main event teams last year. I was a big fan of where he was going at the ADP, um, and I I I, I hurt because by the time he was getting cooking in September. He was long gone off my teams and helping somebody <laughs> else. So, um, but, uh, you know, as far as Bellinger goes, I just, you know, I want to see him good because he is good, but let's not forget too. Like he, he reworked his swing after winning the MVP just because like that's someone who doesn't necessarily make great decisions either. So I I'm out on, I'm out on Bellinger for sure. And I'm probably out on Yelich. Let's uh, let's move on. And, uh, talk about our next pairing, and that's Trent Grisham, who's going pick 130 versus Mitch Hanniger going pick 115. I, I think if anybody's heard me over the course of the last few months, you probably know I'm not paying the price on Mitch Hanniger given his health track record. I know he stayed healthy last season, but there's no way I could take him close to where he's going. I think Trent Grisham is completely underrated. I think people, for some reason, are kind of ignoring what he did, especially towards uh, you know, the second half of last season, uh, Carlos, who you got between these two guys? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it's going to matter uh, a lot uh, how you're constructing your roster at that point, right? Because if you're needing still some power, but you might go Hanniger, but power, it's somehow easier to find out than those stolen bases that Grishan are, are going to provide you and, and, uh, and I agree 100% with you. I think he's been um, underrated. He's got so much potential. He, he, he. Last year, he only had uh, how many? 100. Well, he he played 130 games, and he he provided almost 20 homers too. So he's he's not short of power. Uh, and the at the end of the day. Of course, they're both kind of erratic batters. They can be hit or miss sometimes, but but just that double-digit numbers and stolen bases and the ceiling and and taking out that injury risk that it's Hanniger between the two of them. Yeah, aggression all the way. Jason, who you got in this one? Uh it's, it's weird because, like, I loved Trent Grisham coming into last year. I mean, you look at his minor league track record about how to get on base and, and the you know the double-digit walk rates he's had throughout the minor leagues, and that's what really attracted me to him uh, as a as an undervalued guy last year uh, because, you know, he, he was going to be projected to hit high in that lineup. I was trying to look 
uh, reminder of that chart I put together. So no, two years ago, because his ADP last year was 77 coming into it. Uh, so yeah, and this year is down to 130. Uh, but he still has the ability to get on base. He still draws the walks, whether he's hitting high in the lineup, whether he's hitting low in the lineup, he still can draw those walks and he gets that and gets on base. Uh, uh, Seattle, San Diego needs to, you know, they do like to keep guys moving around the bases to allow that. And so if he gets high in the lineup, I do like him. You know, with with Hanniger, it's a it's a the final year before free agency. I thought he was a good candidate to be traded last year at the deadline, but then Seattle was still hanging around the fringes of the of a, a postseason potential. And when they kept winning all those late and close games, and so Seattle decided not to trade him. Uh, and I thought they they could have uh, got some good got a good return on him. Now here in the final year, they're almost stuck with them and I'm, my concern with seattle is you you regress that late and close and that puts them back to a, a 75 to 80 win maybe 85 but i don't get the feeling that they're a contender this year I, if i'm wrong you know seattle fans come at me uh with that but then if hanniger gets traded how does that impact his value uh i you know i've, I've liked hanniger as a hitter for a number of years but at this at this area of where things are, I still like Grisham's upside more, uh, especially with the running game, uh, just because I, I want to believe that steals are going to come back this year with uh, with all the stuff about the baseball. If we get a more consistent baseball and, and home runs do, in fact, come down, uh, league's going to try to go back because every now and then the pendulum swings and stolen bases comes back a little bit. Uh, and I want to believe if that's going to be the case, and we're going to see more running. Give me the guy like Grisham uh, who, who does like to run. Yeah, I'm, and I, I got to correct myself. I said that uh, that Christian finished strong. He actually did not finish strong. He did the exact opposite. He started strong after getting, you know, starting the year, missing a, a little bit of time. With, I think with a hamstring strain or mm -hmm. something like that is what, what he had uh, yeah, in the preseason. Because uh, I remember my wife drafted him in the fifth round, and then he got hurt right after that. And I was like, I don't, for that. I don't celebrate injuries, but if I was going to celebrating injury on her team is the one I would celebrate. Um I love the contact skills on Grisham, uh, and he's got power. He's got speed. Uh, you know, he he hit lead off for a lot of the season uh, when he was healthy for that Padres team. I just think there's a ton of upside. I love Hanniger too. Hanniger is one of those guys I absolutely love. But I loved it when his ADP was you know post two something, not inside of the top you know one twenty. I just worry that one of those injuries. He's he's a guy who's been injured. Often his career, especially in the minor leagues, if people remember, one of the reasons his prospect pedigree was kind of derailed was because of the amount of injuries and why he was traded from Arizona to Seattle uh, was he couldn't stay healthy. Um, I hope the best for him. I hope he does stay healthy because I think he's a fantastic player to watch when he is healthy. But I'm, that high up in a draft, I really don't like injury risk. So, um, so let's uh, we'll move it right along and head over to Akil Badu who is at pick 145 over the last two weeks. And then Austin Meadows, another guy who was like a super early pick uh, off and on throughout his young career, kind of dropping a little bit. Uh, Jason, you're uh, a Tampa Bay guy, so I'll let you go first here. Are you making the homer pick with Meadows, or are you going after the crazy upside of Akil Badu? I'm not making the homer pick. Uh, and I'll, I'll remind Paul, you know, last year – Last year, Meadows was uh, 84 by ADP, and he was one, like Vlad Sedler had him as his uh, potential. Every year he puts out an article like, this is the guy this year. Austin mm -hmm. Meadows was was his guy last year. Rob, that, Sil Rob Silver took him, I think, in the fourth round of the main event. Um, yeah. 
really playing his flag. Uh, love Rob, you know, he's more he's right more often than wrong, but that I think that was that one hurt. But I, re I remember Vlad making that pick because I predicted it when he goes, "Who do you think it's gonna?" Uh, when he put out a tweet, "Who's it gonna be?" and I sent him a, a, a gif of of uh, uh, of uh, Meadows, and he he's like, yeah, "Private message, you got it." Uh, you know, the thing the thing with Meadows when I went back and looked at it, obviously we know. Uh, the Rays will sit up against the lefties, which is really tough to expand, spend that high kind of draft pick on a guy that a is going to sit against lefties uh, and doesn't really run anymore uh, with that. The other piece of it, like last year, he drove in in 106 runs. One of the things I went back and looked, uh, went to uh, Stathead on baseball ref, like give me the lowest batting averages for a guy that had, had dro drove in at least 100 runs in a season. Meadows came in 10th. With his two with his two thirty four average, it's the tenth lowest batting average in the history of one hundred plus RBI seasons. The lowest we ever had. The guy just retired. Kyle Seager hit two twelve and drove in one hundred and one runs. Then Tony Armas two eighteen drove in one hundred and seven. Adam Duvall also made this list because he led the National League in RBIs and had the fourth lowest batting average. So it, it's when you see guys that had all those you know, a lot of what. Uh, Meadows' value was last year was him driving in all those runs, but he was hurting you in average. Yes, he, he did have some of the home runs, but to me, he's one of the other guys that's on the hook to get traded because he's not going to sign an extension with Tampa Bay, uh, and he's going to get to the point where they're going to uh, trade him and move him to another place uh, as well, which may help him get more playing time, but if that extra playing time comes with overexposure to lefties, it's going to keep his average down. For him to hit 236 like this, and being benched like he was against lefties, that's that's concerning. Uh, so for me, give me Badu because yeah, he's got his own flaws, but he likes to run, and he's going to play. Uh, he's going to have a higher volume of production uh, at the end of the year than Meadows will, in my opinion. Carlos, where are you at on these two? Yeah, I think that that's the key part: the the volume and and, and the production at the end of the year. And and uh, while I don't, I'm not really crazy about either of them uh, and uh, and maybe Meadows could be this year's post hype guy I, I think the what um, Badu will provide from the start is is more production more stolen bases which I've been repeating the whole podcast but that that's like the the, the biggest uh, uh, scars uh, there's where there's scarcity is this this uh, years in and and we have to be very careful when, when constructing our teams because of that and and uh, i mean but do this not a, a doesn't show a high batting average but this time and age it, it's that's not such a big issue and at that point I, you should have got that your your contact players already uh so you should not be that worried and um, it's not as hideous as meadows contact issue so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I totally agree with, with Jason here. Oh, man, this is a tough one for me. I have them right kind of next to each other. One of the reasons why I put them on this. Um, I tend to kind of agree with you guys in terms of I just Tampa Bay and their playing time. They really want to maximize, like, you know, their their guys' uh, skills, right, over letting them play every day. And I just worry about Meadows falling into the platoon. But it's not like Badu is a guy who is great versus lefties either, right? I think he had like 217 versus lefties last year, if I'm remembering correctly. 
Um, I'm gonna double. I'm gonna yeah, it comes as a rule five. It comes as a rule five rookie. Uh, it's it's easier to forgive him for struggling this lefties than it is sure. for a guy like Meadows. Yeah, and, and well, but the difference too is there just isn't as much in Detroit at the moment to platoon him with, right? Like you know, and the Rays have really shown that they're going to platoon guys. Doesn't matter, you know, how good you know they have been if if they struggle versus one side or the other. They're going to try to do what's best for the team overall. Uh, and I do love the crazy upside of Badu. Like, I mean, the power of the speed. Um, he's a guy that I've had lower in my ranks than I should, and I've already moved him up a good, like, 14, 15 spots in the outfield. Uh, so, yeah, I'm probably going to end up with Badu more often than Meadows. Uh, but I'll take the gamble on Meadows here because I do believe – if he can just figure it out, man, there's a monster season coming at some yeah, at point. the price. And again, yeah. it's not like I'm not out on anybody here, but like if I get to the spot of the draft and I'm like, Ooh, these two guys are on the table. I've given my preference to where I want to go with stuff. It just, as you, as your look at Meadows with, I was trying to look where he went, he went, in fact, he went to pick after me in the 11th round when I just looked, uh, when I looked to see where he went. So he went 11-4. I took uh, Adamas at 11-3, who I uh, like quite a bit this year. And then um, Badu went in the middle of the 13th round. So there was a there's a gap there um, with that. And there was only the only other outfield, the only other three outfielders that were taken between those two was me taking Abisail Garcia, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Jared Kelnick uh, went in between Meadows and Badu in my particular draft. But it's just when you look at the amount of RBIs that he had, and it certainly helped once Franco got up on the roster. And the you know, RBIs is all about opportunity, where you hit in the lineup. And if you've got guys clogging the bases in front of them, which was what Franco was doing, and, and Yandy Diaz, as he got in his tear and, and OBP, that's all it comes down to. I mean, Look at Delman Young's rookie year. Terrible hitter, but he ran into 88 RBIs that year uh, because there were guys on base. That's really what it comes down to is just maximizing your opportunities. And, and Meadows certainly did that. That's no fault of his own. Yeah. Let's uh, let's move on and talk about Andrew Benatendi and Michael Conforto. Benatendi currently going around pick 189 over the last two weeks. Michael Conforto, a free agent, mind you, not going to be returning with the Mets. Uh, Mets. Uh, is going at pick 195. I would expect that to go up considerably once he signs. But, Jason, who are you picking between these two guys? Right now, with the details we have now, I want Ben Intendi. He's projected hit cleanup uh, for Kansas City. Uh, and that's really nice to be able to hit. And the same opportunities we just discussed uh, about the, being a, a skill of opportunity, he's going to have the opportunities hitting in the middle of that lineup. Kansas City is a, is a lineup that likes to keep the guys moving on the bases. Benintendi has the abilities to do that. It's a nice park to, to hit for his tools. It's not a great power hitting park, but he's a gap-to-gap guy. Uh, and I, I'd like, I mean, Conforto, we just don't know where he's going to land. Uh, and, and that's the influence. It depends who's going who's gonna to spend what to get his uh, abilities. And if they sign him and he's hitting lower in the lineup, let's say they sign him somewhere and he hits sixth. You know, I, give me the guy that's going to hit fourth or, or potentially higher. I don't see a, a situation where Benintendi is going to get shoved down the lineup uh, as long as he – the way he produced, the way he hit for that team uh, once he was acquired over there last year, he's earned the opportunity to hit higher in this lineup. Uh, and I'm kind of excited to see what he can do in that lineup. 
So give me Benintendi because I don't know where, where Conforto is going to land. If I knew where he was going to land, it'd be easier to make this decision, but I'm going to go with the known versus the unknown. Carlos, where are you at on these two? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with Benintendi. I, I had the chance to to watch a little bit uh, Paul Sporter's presentation yesterday. Yesterday, oh, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and he was, and he had uh, Benintendi as one of the two guys to with an opportunity to land a top fifty uh, production outside of that ranks. And and I I think he he was very clear on that. Benintendi he he didn't clean up in a rust. In line in a lineup that would be better than we think. I think Kansas have a, a chance that to be better than we all think they are. I'm not saying they are going places, but they're going to be better than than we think. So so and and as Jason said, hitting cleanup is always a major opportunity to do, to show what what you can do. So uh, I I I love comfort. Right? I I always thought he was going to be like the next big thing in, in the majors but he constantly keeps underperforming um i know he's had issues with injuries and things that have has kept him uh under his probably his potential uh but i'm not sure he's gonna make it this year um we still don't know where he's is he gonna land and that makes the uncertainty uh, uh a lot bigger so i, I would rather take Benintendi. Yeah, I mean, no matter where Conforto lands, I think the park should be better than what he was dealing with in New York, but the team context around him may not be better. I mean, the Mets had a pretty strong damn lineup around him, and it's hard because Conforto's a guy that I've been dropping in my ranks little by little, and now I've done a massive drop in my ranks um, just because it turns out that I like the idea of Michael Conforto more than actually what Michael Conforto is able to do. Um, and it's because what Carlos was just mentioning, like the potential, we see the tools and we go, okay, but whether it's injuries, uh, you know, poor plate approach, there is um, always something, <laughs> there's always something with him. He just never seems to unlock it. Does that mean he can't unlock it? No, I do think he can unlock it at some point, but he needs to get with a really good hitting coach. Uh, maybe he's the guy who should be working with, uh, Paul DeYoung's hitting coach right now. Uh, and, and, and really kind of figure some things out. And he needs to stay healthy. He needs to stay on the field. Uh, and for that reason alone, even though I'm not a big Benintendi guy, like I, I see Benintendi and I go, okay, we're talking about like a like a 20, you know, maybe high teens homers, you know, just short of 10 stolen base guy in a really large ballpark on an offense that I don't think is very impressive. Um, though it, it will probably get better here with guys like Nick Prado and Bobby Wood Jr. coming up. I don't know. It just it doesn't seem like it's not a profile that really strikes uh, a lot of confidence in my heart in Kansas City with Ben Intendi. Um, but I got to take him over the guy who has trouble staying on the field, has trouble maintaining a good plate approach. Um, you know, we're only a few seasons removed away from Benintendi weirdly going in the second and third rounds of, of draft. <laughs> um, I, I knew that was a mistake, but he's going too low at this point. I think he's, you know, uh, where, where did I say he, uh, where did I say Benintendi is, uh, is going, he's going around pick 190, 189. I mean, that's, yeah. that's especially for a guy. The nice thing about Benintendi is, you know, if you're trying to maintain balance all the way through your draft. He's one of those guys that allows you to do that, right? Exactly. He, he, he's not necessarily a guy that's going to win you any individual category. 
but he gives you a little bit of everything. And those those of you who don't like drafting rabbits, don't like drafting kind of unbalanced profiles in terms of your offense, he's one of those guys you can kind of glue in there and continue that path, which gives you a lot more options towards the real end of your draft. So, yep, I would say you know for context, uh, I had this decision in the 18th towards the end of the 18th round. Uh, Adam Duvall went in front of me. Uh, Conforto went after me. I chose Charlie Blackman in the middle of them. And this was, again, the end of the 18th. And I did that. Really, that was roster. That was because of batting average. Uh, you know, I'm not – Blackman is one of the old unsexy players that I usually run away from. But I took Bobby Dahlbeck the round before that. I wanted the batting average offset Bobby Dahlbeck. I knew that I was going to take a dart on Gary Sanchez later on, and I wanted to have I wanted to have Charlie Blackman's home numbers helping my batting average, uh, and so that's why I decided to go with him uh, of the of the trio. Marcelo Zuna went after Conforto uh, there, but I like Conforto. But I the way my roster was coming together at that point, I couldn't take the chance of adding yet another low batting average guy, and ultimately that's what made the that's what made the the, the decision for me. But you you make a great point, Justin, talking about. Uh, you know, building that type of players. We were talking about Brian Reynolds earlier, same kind of profile for Ben Attendee, but he's going to be a little lower in the lineup. Whereas Reynolds is going to be a table setter. Most likely Reynolds, uh, uh, Ben Attendee is going to have that opportunity to do that from the middle of a lineup, uh, which again, he, in, in this same, he went uh, in the top of the 16th round. He was the first pick leading off the 16th round in this one. All right, let's uh, let's move on to uh, two guys who are uh, young, right? They're they're uh, potential superstars in the making, maybe. They're guys who have had really big prospect pedigrees and are still insanely young. And I'm talking about Jesus Sanchez going to pick 229 over the last two weeks, and Joe Adele, who is getting a lot of uh, a lot of you know helium right now, a lot of heat in the fantasy industry, going to pick 239. I don't think he's going to stay there very long. I don't think. Maybe Jesus Sanchez is going to stay at that ADP very long. So, Carlos, who you got between these two young guys? I'm going to be the contrarian here, man. I'm taking Jesus Sanchez uh, uh, all the way. Uh, I mean, they are pretty similar in a bunch of, of aspects. They don't run that often. Um, they they are not that great contact players, but Sanchez has the power. And I'm all in with the, with the power in this case. Sanchez has... Twice as a better blast percentage. Uh, he's better at barrel percentage. He says he's better at the as in his dynamic hard hitting percentage. He he's a bigger line drive batter. And uh, uh, I mean, I I I really really like Jesus Sanchez. And not only comparing him to Joel Adel, I, I think he's going to be one of the nicest surprises and uh, this season in all baseball. So. All in with Jesus Sanchez for this. I love the call there. Jason, where are you at on these two guys? Uh, I like Sanchez as he came up through the race system. Uh, yeah, I, He was the price to pay to get Nick Anderson. Uh, and I forgot the other piece. I'm drawing a blank on a part of that. But that was the price to pay uh, in that particular deal. But for me, I, I can't. I'm still going to go with Adele. I was very much in on Adele last year. Uh, I know the numbers but he was an end game pick for me last year he's not gonna he won't be an end game pick this year based on it but he's still only 22 years old and joe adele was you know within the last 12 to 18 months considered one of the premier hitting prospects in all of the minor leagues uh and 
you know, a lot sometimes a lot of jokes get made about oh he's the next Howie Kendrick because a lot of you know when Howie Kendrick came up everybody predicted him as a batting champ uh, and it never came together. But with Adele, when I've watched him play, you can you see what the potential is, uh, and I'm not ready to walk away from that. Uh, on that, I don't. There's not a big gap between these players. Like some of these other guys, I'm like, oh, I want this guy all day long. There's not a big gap here. But I've I was very much in on Adele last year as an end game target, and I want to stay with him here. Yeah, I've been a huge Adele guy in the past. I, I really, I mean, I you know, I've been talking about him since he was drafted. Uh, you know, uh, to the Angels, I've been a big, big fan of his um, coming up through the minors. But at some point, man, you have to make more contact than he makes. I know he, I know in a really, really small sample, he did make more contact at the major league level. But there's still a lot of swing and miss uh, in that game. I think Jesus Sanchez. Um, you know, in spite of he likes to swing outside the zone like a good a third of the time, he made like 83% zone contact. For a power hitter, that's pretty darn good, especially for a young guy. Um, if he makes any added improvements, I think I agree with Carlos. I think there's a massive potential year coming. Um, and I also think that um, I think a lot of people right now are penciling uh, Adele in as a full-time player. I think he's going to get a shot. But I don't think that's guaranteed in the same way it is for, for Sanchez. So for me, I'm taking Sanchez over Adele. It doesn't mean I'm not going to take the occasional dart throw at Adele and that upside because, I mean, the, the tools are crazy. I don't know if people remember, but, I mean, this is a guy that, like, put up video game numbers, you know, through high school and, you know, uh, and so, like, uh, you know, and, and in the low minors. Like, there, there's a ton of potential here. And, I mean, the tool, the, the physical gifts – are amazing. Go watch some of Joe Adele's workout videos where he's like jumping out of a pool that's like neck high, like sh- without using his hands, like straight out of the pool. I mean, it's it's amazing. Like the physical. That's a big deal. Good. I could do that in a kitty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that I could stand up as fast as he could do that. Like that. I mean, that it just it's unreal. Like the physical gifts the guy has. So like, I'm not going to give up on him. Um, at all, and I'm willing to take the gamble, especially at this ADP. But uh, if I'm picking between the two, for me, it's Jesus Sanchez, and I don't think it's that close, honestly. Uh, Same guy took gonna... Benintendi, took Adele. That was his next outfielder. Took him in hey, the. Uh... But I like that because that's a high floor guy <laughs> yeah. with a high ceiling guy. Like that's a really good pairing yeah. right there. That's smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna skip the next one because uh, we're running a little short on time. Ah. Uh, I'll make a quick comment on the next. No, I was just going to say right. the next quick pairing comment, is Tommy Pham and, and Michael Brantley. And, and really mm-hmm. that comes down to the part of your draft where, okay, what do I need on my team? Uh, and Michael Brantley, great guy for if, you, if you're, if you've drafted some of those batting average risk and you need some, you need some batting average cushion and you want some runs, there it is. But that's all his value is because you, you know, the, everything else is fading away. And I would say Pham, I think Pham's a guy that's going undervalued right now, but he's also unemployed. Got to see yeah. where he lands uh, because he he can score runs because he gets on base and he can steal bases. Uh, the one thing that's always been a problem for him is driving in runs. I don't know what it is. Like RBI is a skill of opportunity, as we've said multiple times on this show. But for whatever reason, Tommy Pham does not hit well with runners on base. It's just not something that's well in his profile. But go look at the numbers. It's kind of crazy. But he does know how to get on base. He does still make really good contact. And he likes to run when he's on base. I, you know, I took I took Fam and, and towards the end of the twentieth round uh, as looking at, for my fifth outfielder spot because I liked the value of what I needed, uh, as particularly the stolen bases uh, at that particular phase of the draft. Carlos, do you want to 
quickly chime in on this one before we move on no. to the last one? I, I, no, I just like uh, Tommy Pan too, as long as he stays away of, of getting stabbed and things like that. He, he, he's, he's the guy. Between these two. <laughs> um, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to take Michael Brantley. Uh, and it's just because right now Brantley has a full-time job. And I just, I wonder where, you know, fan getting a little bit older, uh, you know, he, he he's not necessarily the organizational guy that uh, people uh, or that organizations really like. Uh, I think his teammates like him, but uh, the organization, he sees butted heads a few times. I, he's I just outspoken. Wonder, he wants to get paid. He wants to get paid what he's worth. Simple yeah, I, I, I agree, but um, I just worry about his potential to find a full-time job once things do open back up. If he does, if he lands in a spot where we go, oh, yeah, he's getting 550, 600 plate appearances, I, I, I'm easily going to move Fam up. But until I see that, I got to go with Brantley, who's just a steady, eddy, boring guy that gets underrated because he's old and boring. Uh, all right, let's finish out with uh, Kyle Lewis and Yoshi Tsugo. Uh Kyle Lewis going pick 304. Yoshi Tsugo going pick 311. Carlos, who you got? This is barely a, a coin flip for me, to be honest. But I'm going with Tsugo because of the way he finished last year. Mostly because of, of that and, you know, all the hype and, and around him previously. So if you really need to draft a, one of them, I, I would go Tsugo. Jason, do you have a preference? Uh the weird thing about Susugo is how awful, 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 awful he looked at the beginning of the season and then how well he looked at the end of the season. I mean, he couldn't he couldn't hit anything. Basically, the only thing he could hit when he started the season was sinker ball pitchers, right-handed sinker ballers. That's what he could hit, but anything with velocity, forget it. Couldn't hit it. Uh, you know, Rays cut him. He goes to the Dodgers. All oh, will give him a chance. Has the same problems there. Then he gets to Pittsburgh, and all of a sudden, everything clicks for him. Uh, what I like about him right now is right now, you know, he's because of the way that lineup's being put together, he's going to hit high in it. He's going to hit most days until he, unless he falls back into the abyss that he looked like earlier. Uh, whereas with Lewis, it gets to be kind of a crowded playing situation uh, with him coming off injury and, and the, the, the bats that the club has added right now, he's slated to hit in the bottom third of the lineup. We don't know if he's even going to play every day. I, I like the talent. And we saw what he was uh, doing before he uh, fibula fracture, right? Broken leg. Is that was? Yeah. I, can't, I honestly can't remember. I, I think it's fibula leg. Yeah. That was about, we, so we saw what he's capable of uh, with that. But when I'm looking at a bottom third versus a top third guy, you know, in most formats, it's got to be it's got to be that top third guy because of the extra play. You're basically looking at uh, what is the rule of thumb? 18 plate appearances uh, over the course of a season by every spot you drop down in the lineup. So if we're talking about a guy that's going to hit third versus a guy that's going to hit seventh, that's 72 plate appearances uh, right out of the gate. That's a that's a chunk of playing time, and I it really depends on how the rest of your roster is constructed. Uh, where you're going to go with this? But in a vacuum, Susugo because of the spot in the lineup. I think if you could guarantee me 450 plate appearances, I'd be taking Kyle Lewis. Uh, the problem is, over the course of the last three seasons, he has a total of 464 plate appearances. And I think people forget that this was a top 25 prospect at one point in the minor leagues, but injuries are what derailed his minor league career right. and, and kind of made it hard for him to get to the majors. He turns um, 27 and, this year. That's the yeah, crazy and, thing. <laughs> and he's coming, he's coming off of a major injury again. I think, I think if he's healthy and he's right, he's going to play every day. Um, 
But I think in most cases, I'm probably going to take Tsugo, one, dual eligible. Uh, and two, I, I feel really confident I'm going to get plate appearances. Now, if you're in a really shallow league, if you're in a 10-teamer, if you're in even a 12-teamer, um, you might want to just take the upside on Kyle Lewis because I do think if he's able to stay healthy, he could have a massive year. I just don't want to bank on that, um, especially in leagues like draft and holds where you can't drop a guy, right? You, you pick him, you stuck with him for the whole year. Um, and in those kind of formats, I can. In a, in a regular like Yahoo League or, or ESPN League where there's a lot of um, availability off of the waiver wire, I'll take the gamble on Kyle Lewis because I think there's a really good chance that I can f- pick someone else up that can you know replace him if he starts here on the uh, on the IL or hits the IL because he has another injury. And the thing with Lewis for his major league career, he's got a 121 WRC plus. The problem is it's taken him three years to put together a season. You know, his totals 464 plate appearances, 258, 353, 450. Good numbers, but it's taken him three years just to put that level of production yeah. up because of the injuries. That's a shame. That's a really shame. Yeah, if, if again, one of these guys, if we turn off injuries, I think he would be uh, going much, much higher, and I'd be really, really confident. But sure, I, just, I you know, I love the skills, and but health is a skill. We forget that health is a skill, and Kyle Lewis has Look not. At you, shown, Justin. Look at you, I, health is a skill. My, it is. You have evolved. <laughs> I, I have. I, I, you know what? You, you get hit hard like I have, not ignoring health, and now it, yeah. you learn your lesson. You don't want to. You don't want to touch that flame again. Uh, Carlos, thank you so much for joining us. Remind everybody where you're on social media, and then plug anything you got going on. No, I, I'm I'm just the, the thankful here, guys. I mean, you guys are like the the golden standard for podcasting and and, and analysts. So I'm just honored and happy to be with you here. And uh, you, you can follow my ramblings in Twitter. You know, at ca marcano. I usually tend to put crazy numbers at really late in the night. And my writing, in, uh, I do it at pitcher list and uh, six-man rotation. So uh, those are like the main places that I'll be around. I hope so. And Jason, where can you be reached and what are you working on? Uh, on the Twitter at that right there for those watching on video. Uh, and then the collect calls column at rotowire the uh al central bowl predictions went up friday the nl central is already in there um i don't know when it'll be published this week but it will be published this week uh and so now i'm working on the western divisions uh so i can get those wrapped up here by the middle of february uh just in time for the heat of draft season uh, i think this uh see the nl central now, the AL Central went up this week. One of the ones, I think the boldest one I put in there, I said that Whit Merrifield wouldn't be a top 60 guy because uh, I, I refuse to believe he's Wolverine. Eventually, he has to get hurt. Uh, but yeah, that's in there. And then the NL Central, uh, you got to read it for the Paul DeYoung one because uh, he's in there, Justin. Oh, you know, I will be. Uh, you can reach me <laughs> on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. Uh, you can hear me on this podcast, uh, the Friends of Fantasy Benefits podcast and the TGFBI podcast, which should be starting up pretty here uh quickly here fwfb has been going for a little while uh and uh, i'm writing pretty close to daily over on fan graphs i'm doing adp market report stuff all week long so if you're wondering where the players shooting up the adp or dropping down it uh, i got you covered i could do i think all the infield positions this week we did i did catcher last week so uh and then uh yeah i think that is about oh tgfbi 
Monday is the last day to sign up for TGFBI. The TGFBI satellites, if you want to try to win your way into next year's TGFBI, those signups will be open for a little while. Uh, but I'll be sending out the first acceptance letters for TGFBI early next week. So look for that. Uh, but if you want to get in TGFBI, last day to sign up and guarantee a spot, if you're in the industry, is on Monday. Make sure you get that in because every year somebody emails me, somebody tweets at me, somebody you know DMs me and goes, "I didn't get in TGF, I didn't sign up, I didn't get an acceptance." Like, and I and I go, "Nothing I can do for you," you know, you know, you got to sign up um, because I, I, you know, I I've sent out like a hundred DMs and probably a thousand emails over the last month trying to trying to remind people to get in and and hopefully people do, but. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, it, but the satellites will still be open to register for a little while. If you want to get in, uh, email me and I'll, uh, and I'll be getting back to people early next month on how you get into those satellite leagues. That is going to wrap us up for Jason, Carlos and myself. Thank you for listening. Have a fantastic baseball season. See ya. <laughs>